We gotta go to the bullpen. Welcome to the Highland Bullpen, the all-new podcast bringing America's pastime to Scotland shores. It doesn't matter if you're a Hall of Famer heading for Cooperstown or you're fresh out of the minor leagues, this is the podcast for you. Yeah, I just think that... um classic since i was having a look mm. as, as i do with the tigers i like to count the number of teams who've got a lower percentage than them <laughs> and, and, and i think in our tenure of baseball fans and certainly podcasting this might be an all-time high that there are nine teams currently worse than the mm. tigers in baseball i then picked up on a couple of stats which were quite fascinating that uh, the Blue Jays, I mean, that's some division the Red Sox are in. The Blue Jays are in fourth place with a run differential of plus 104. Yeah, it's something that, you know, I've been keeping quiet about, really. The sort of Red Sox. Win that division and they've got to be pretty impressive. I know it's been recorded and it's something I had written down about the fact that um, this has not been a great week for the Red Sox. They've they sort of got this great record of comeback wins, haven't they? Comeback win record, it's you know, it's up there in the top top three, which is great and it's a good trade for any sports team. Having said that, you know, and I've been quiet about it because I didn't want to hex them, does mean they go behind a lot. Yeah, and you know, although they score a lot of runs, they do concede a lot too. And you look at the, you know, they've scored what five hundred and thirty. They've uh, conceded four hundred and eighty-two. Only Baltimore, in our division, has conceded more runs, and no other team in the top two of each of the three American divisions has conceded as many. It's a similar story if you look in the National League as well. You know, we've conceded probably, you know, if you look at if you looked at the whole 30 teams, you look at them, they're probably about midway in terms of conceding runs. So, you know, the good news is they're only one run behind the three games ahead for the wild card. But it was a chastening thought. That uh, the Red Sox score a few, but they do concede quite a lot. And you yeah, know, you want to go for the playoff season, need to tighten up a bit. If they want to do well in the playoff season, you know, they really need to do something a bit different. Would it be fair to say they're almost like a Keegan's Newcastle then? Uh, quite offensively good, but you know, deficiencies at the back. <laughs> you know, um, high scoring games and just coming out on top you know it's not the worst way to be but it's it's not good for your heart <laughs> no, well you, you look at the you know football analogy and uh, Liverpool a few seasons ago they've gone sort of nearly 30, well, 30 years 
without winning the championship. And then they had those two or three great seasons where they were brilliant under Brendan Rodgers and then, of course, Klopp, you know, and they were scoring loads of goals, but they were conceding. Then they signed one player, Van Dijk, and almost immediately tightened up their defence. They kept playing well and won the league. Is it that simple in baseball? I'm not sure it is. You know, we'll talk about the trade deadline and, uh, you know, the idea was, and I did see it somewhere that um, no less than John Henry, the owner, uh, this is only a rumour, I haven't really checked it, that he was demanding that uh, the Red Sox sign Max Scherzer from is it National Washington Nationals? They I think think so, yeah. Players, really, they sort of, you know, so far, you know, I mean, they were obviously in World Series winners quite recently, weren't they? But, um, you know, I think they've sort of accepted this season that's going to happen for them and uh, they've sold quite a few players and sort of regrouping. I don't think that was going to happen. He, he's publicly stated that he wanted to go to a West Coast team and the Dodgers have signed him, haven't they? You know, if, as if they... I can understand what the Dodgers are doing. They're, they're basically... It was last year they won it and it was the first time they've won the World Series for a long time. I think they really want to win it this year just to say, look, you know, anyone who wants to say that was uh, an asterisk season with a, only 60 games, you know, we win it again. Um, so, yeah, signing a, a real sort of ace starter could be something that might change, you know, improve your team. But we've got Chris Sale coming back, you know, fingers crossed. It's looking good. They're talking about, you know, he's played a few games for the Wu Sox, I think, and, um, you know, in AAA. And they're talking about sort of uh, mid, mid-August coming back. If he comes back, he's, he's like an ace signing coming, coming back. So that could make a big difference. Before we maybe talk about the trade, are we trade deadline a wee bit more? Because I think Dave wants to talk a bit about that. When I mentioned the the Blue Jays, there, are you aware that there's a team topping their division who have a negative run differential? Um, I haven't seen that. Uh, I was looking at the, uh, the 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 numbers earlier today. Actually, you know, just. Um, you know, just conscious of what we were going to talk about. We look, I was concentrating really on the on the Red Sox, but uh, oh, I suppose it, it can happen. It's a, it would be unusual in football to be top of the league and have a minus goal difference. Uh, the Mets. Oh, you're yeah, yeah, good. Your Google is good, isn't it? Ah. <laughs> um, no, it's that's quite a strange division as well. Uh, it, it, I think there was a lot of talk at the start of the season, particularly. With the Mets splashing out a little bit, and you, you had Degrom there, I think the feeling was with a, a really established team like Atlanta, uh, that might be a really quite interesting top two. I think it's just really that division looks as if it's faded out, and there's I, I don't know if it's purely down to Degrom, but um, Atlanta haven't been the team you have. Am I right in saying does Acuna Junior play for Atlanta? 
uh, for the Braves. Yeah, the Braves. Yeah, and I think he's been injured. I think he's going to be out for the season now, and that must be a real, a real negative for them as well. But I think Atlanta have got a good record the last few years, or, or people speak quite highly of them. Uh, but it seems to be that division is they. I don't know if it's there for the taking. I couldn't tell you that other teams' placings just now, but I'm pretty sure the Mets aren't really that far over 500. It, it's one of the things that is quite hard to get your head around as a football fan because you play everyone in your division, but of course you're not doing that in baseball. So if you, I don't know, I was going to say randomly end up in a weak division, you could have overall low percentages, but I don't know how random it is because when you look at the Red Sox and the Yankees being together and the the Blue Jays and is it Tampa are leading the division, Dave? Yeah. 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 I mean, they presumably are franchises have got a bit of cash about them as well, possibly. Well, the the Rays are just just to interrupt they something I was gonna mention in the deadline chat was you know the the Rays are the are the are the club that have the successful club who have a low payroll. Would they be a little similar to Oakland in that regard? Um, I'd need to check the the numbers, Dave. But yeah, that sounds sounds familiar. I just remember from that, yeah, you know, from the Moneyball film. I'm sure they said that for their budget, which has not really changed much since then, they've always been. Sort of up against it, but performing really, really well. So this week, Alan, I think that Detroit had a bit of a uh, an interesting series of matches. One in particular. Uh, have you got any any more that you can talk about? Yes. How how long have I got to talk about this? Because um, it's a statistics, a Stato's dream. This one here. So I might be here for a wee while, chatting it through. So the Tigers. Managed to win another series. August, July ended up another successful month for the Tigers as well. Obviously not as successful as some fans may have hoped, but hey, we're winning. But we won the series with the Twins with a 17-14 win. Now, I'm fairly sure that none of us, when we talked about our favourite baseball score, had 17-14 down as that. I think it was fairly unusual. I did try to use the advantage of Mr. Google to find out how many times 1714 had played out. I found one article or one website which took us up to 2016. And the scoreline 2014 had only been recorded six times by 2016. The most recent being in 2004. But three of those 1714s, maybe not surprisingly, were in the 19th century. So this being the second one in the 21st century, having only had two in the 20th century, in 1926 and 1961. So fairly crazy stuff. I won't give you a run-through of the game, but I will go through pretty much every crazy statistic that came out of that, because I love it. I might have mistakenly referred to it as a Lions game, because obviously it's more akin to an NFL score. Uh, so we've been in Minnesota, people will be talking about the Lions and Vikings. One fundamental difference, I think, between the MLB version and the NFL version here is the Detroit team won. And I'm pretty sure that the Lions <laughs> aren't winning often enough for us to say that anyway. 
But there was one fact came out of this, which I've read conflicting reports, but something, someone somewhere said it was the first ever MLB game where somebody gave up seven home runs. So the unique thing here, sorry, I should be saying, is that whilst the Twins hit seven home runs, how many do you think the Tigers got to make up their 17 runs? And this is the unique part. It's a big fat zero. So, uh, it's pretty amazing in itself, isn't it? To score 17 yeah. runs without yeah. the benefit of a, you know, a home run with someone on base. I don't, your, I don't mean to steal your thunder, Alan, but um, in case it, it leads on, but how how were the team for hits and walks? Because it, it must insinuate there was a, a really good offensive batting day for the team. Yeah, yeah, 16 hits. Uh, the Twins had 15. Uh, nine walks, so quite a lot of walking uh, walks being delivered there. Nine singles, six doubles, and one triple. I think the bizarrest thing about scoring 17 runs is they scored them in four innings. So they scored two in the second, uh, eight in the fourth, three in the sixth, and four in the ninth. After scoring their eight in the fourth innings, they were 10-0 up. So, yeah, your Twins fans are switching the TV off at that stage. Uh, but the four runs the Tigers scored in the 19th, as you will have worked out, were obviously pivotal in making sure they actually won the game. Tigers failed to score in five innings, but between the two teams in this 31-run game, there were actually uh, four scoreless innings. <laughs> between the two of them. So four innings were will nil-nil. So ab- absolutely crazy stuff going, going on elsewhere. Dave? <laughs> there seems to be something I've noticed in baseball. Teams do hit back quite quickly. Because even if you go a few innings and say you get to the third or fourth and it's nil-nil, someone, you know, even if, if it's one run, if it's in your case, Alan, eight, um, the, the opposition seems to almost get some sort of boost or bite from that and just feel right, let's close the gap. Um, it seems to, to come about quite often. It's interesting your perspective on that because I often wondered if it's sort of the opposite. Have the, have the leading team become too lax or too aggressive in their pitching, which is causing them to, to give up runs? Something happens. I think it's a good point. Some, something happens. Yeah, I don't want to be rude like Al, but you know you're talking about that. They they ended up sort of needing them needing them 17 runs, didn't they? But well, well, exactly, they did. They did. Um, Insurance runs galore. (laughs) That's the insurance. Classic, classics have great, great bit of insurance going on. I like the fact as well. Every every tiger got a hit. Every Tiger got an RBI and every Tiger scored. Wow. So That's me. Yeah. Uh, the Twins certainly didn't manage that. Er- Eric Haas got three runs. But that's like, yeah, you're not going to get 10-0 or 11-0 in a football game. But if, if you did, the, the, the striker has scored four. Or your penalty taker has scored two or three, hasn't he? So 
to get everybody scoring is absolutely fantastic. So how would you fancy being at that game? Would you be would it just be absolutely crazy and you're loving every minute of it, or would you be thinking, what on earth's going on here? Uh, we saw something akin to that, didn't we, at the yeah. MLB uh, 2019 when, you know, over two games, it was all, didn't we see 50, 50 runs scored? Yeah. And, uh, you do get these sort of <laughs> high-scoring games and, you know, it was, it was, it was fun. You know, it's part of the game, isn't it? You know, a lot of people discussed it before, haven't they? I mean, you alluded to it by saying, you know, your favourite score is never going to be 17-14. But, um, you know, it's part, it's part of the game. If uh, Traditionally, the purists like uh, pitching duel, <laughs> so that, you know, it's so a low-scoring 3-2-2-1 game but. You know, yeah. that wasn't there. Plenty of, uh, must have been quite a lot of manufactured runs, lots of hits, lots of, you know, even yes. the tribe didn't um, get a home run. So, good uh, play. Been quite very different. So, last point, and not I've given enough stats of, on the game. I'm sure somebody's gone mm-hmm. into an even more depth, but I'm sure I've come across a Twitter site called, I think maybe Scoragami, which is, it's NFL. But what they do is they tweet about unique scores. And I, and I think every year or two, a unique score does still crop up in NFL, which is interesting because you might get 48-23, but baseball must have plenty of stuff. So I was quite excited to see six previous 17-14s, but I'd have probably liked to see just one. <laughs> <laughs> world of the White Sox in Chicago did the, did the week go seven games 17 runs for the White Sox and conceding 14 over seven games or you know not far off Alan not <laughs> not far off at all I get since the the all-star break the White Sox have kind of spluttered a little bit uh, we've not been as free-flowing as we were beforehand uh, again, some more injuries, but some some players returning, which is which has been fantastic. Uh, the seven games this week, disappointingly, we lost a four game series three one to uh, Kansas City, um, and we all know the importance of winning those those games in your own division. Uh, the irony is, apparently, some of those games we're putting out sides to save ourselves to play the, the Cleveland Indians, who are second. Uh, the feeling being that if we could beat the Indians or whitewash them over three games, uh, then it would really just knock them out of the race completely. But given how they traded over the, the trading deadline, which is something we'll speak about later, um, they've they've almost gave up in the chase themselves. So although it doesn't look like the players have given up by any means, uh, they still looked a really strong outfit over the three games I caught. So we, we managed to beat the Indians 2-1. Uh, and again, some fantastic games in there. One of one of them was a thirteen twelve, so right. not quite uh, not quite to your own standards, um, but really interesting to watch all the way through. A, a little bit more on that later. Uh, interesting to note that the Indians decided this week their name from twenty twenty two going forward will be the Cleveland Guardians. Uh, and when I had a look into why that is, uh, going over one of the bridges in Cleveland, there's two absolutely massive. 
statues might not be the right word, but kind of carvings on the bridges, kind of guardians to protect the citizens and the traffic uh, in amongst Cleveland. So these, uh, that was one of the names put forward, and that's how they will be known as going forward, uh, which sure. is really quite interesting. Alan, sorry. That was you... quite good, actually, Dave. You know, it's, it's, it's totally different and interesting, but when you know the background to it, I don't know what the alternatives were, but um, it's like a good one to me. Cleveland Cowboys. <laughs> I, I just like the fact Guardians, I mean, there's insurance companies called Guardians, so that when they get their insurance runs knocked in as well, there's even more <laughs> connection there as well. What do you want? <laughs> uh, so over the next week, we've got um, I, I, another three games uh, home to Kansas, uh, three away at the Cubs, again, more on them later. Uh, and then three the Twins, so some back to the American League Central. Uh, in terms of, so I'll leave out the trades just now, but what a week for the White Sox. Uh, although we came out and lose the end of the, the seven games, just um, some crazy incidents. If, if anyone out there can catch Yohan Moncada's home run, two outfielders running towards each other, colliding, and the ball, which was falling two, three feet short uh, of the thinking a home run line, it's managed to hit one of them in the glove and go over where the other two guys end up in their butts. Always kind of funny to watch. <laughs> uh, Jose Abreu, um, who is now officially the most hit by batter in the MLB, um, was hit by the Indians Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. Um, and again, the, the third one of those was pretty horrific. He, he seems to take some real headshots uh, or... For those not familiar with the game, up and in tends to be the uh, the kind of classification for that. Uh, and what I found really interesting is that one of his friends in the, the Indians team, a really good third baseman, uh, Ramirez, having a, having a great season himself, he was actually furious with his own team and his own pitching team. It showed him afterwards. Uh, apparently he just wasn't... It's someone of a similar build. It's someone of a similar hitting nature, he felt that his own pitching team had been out of order in doing so. And it's strange to watch because the pitchers genuinely look so upset with themselves that they've caused some some contact or potential injury. Um, but it's very unusual that the same guy is hit time in, time out. And whether that's to do with the type of pitch being up and in, um, and it's just it leads to more dangerous situations, I don't know. Um, but that was three nights running. You know, one of the nights, the benches emptied. Uh, it was it was all kind of kicking off. Uh, the the 13-12 game that I mentioned earlier, absolutely wonderful scenes, although it was a loss for the White Sox. Our catcher, so bear in mind, he was our third choice, maybe even fourth choice catcher at the start of the season, uh, Sebi Zavala. So he's came in with Yasmani Grandal being out recently. And... It's his first real season in the majors. I haven't checked out if he's kind of played the odd appearance so over the last few years. But for a guy that's he's played a, a substantial amount of games this year, and he's had one RBI up until Saturday night, and went on to hit four for four on the evening. However, of those four hits, three were home runs, and. It, it was absolutely, you know, the second of which was a grand slam. And seeing his eyes, seeing his reaction to doing this 
was incredible. As he said afterwards, the only thing that could be better if the White Sox had won the game. Um, but again, Alan loves his stats. So that particular feat is the first time ever in baseball, not since a particular year, or but the first time ever that someone's first three home runs have came in the same game. Uh, which is which leads me to think that um, it's just it's an incredible feat. Uh, that, that's just never happened in baseball before. Uh, and last night, to kind of top things off, or sorry, two nights ago, uh, Brian Goodwin hit his first ever walk-off. And in a stark contrast to 20 hours before, 13-12 game, this one finished 2-1 in the ninth. Uh, and again, it's just, you know, it must really depend just how the pitches are that night, the weather. You get the same stadium, the same, you know, generally the same players, the same outfits across both. Um, but the pitching and the weather and the circumstances just lead to a completely different game. Yeah. Once again, the MLB provides us with two things in a week, which is the first time something has happened in the 140, 150 year history of Major League Baseball. Brilliant stuff. So, uh, thanks, Alan. It wasn't myself that hit the hit the home runs, but I'll pass your love on to Sebi. <laughs> um, we know you so, could have done it. <laughs> so, to go on from there, the, the White Sox, uh, for those of you that don't know, this week's been really quite big in the MLB, and you've had a trading deadline. Uh, I'm not sure how these things have operated in the past. I know that last season there wasn't really one mid-season. Uh, but this year is the only one during during the season, which leads me to think over past years you may have two windows if we're bringing that back to to football in this country. So uh, the White Sox in particular managed to pick up a second baseman from the Indians, which was a huge move because it effectively it was the Indians, please excuse the pun, waving the white flag um, and sort of saying, okay, we're building for the next few seasons um, but by getting in other other players. Um, but also, more bizarrely, the White Sox done a few trades with the Chicago Cubs, uh, which meant that my wee pal, Nick Madrigal, who was really going to be fundamental to the next few years, he's moved across the city. He is injured for 2022, uh, sorry, until 2022, but we've brought in a couple of real pitching options. Uh, one being a, a guy to pitch as expected, maybe a sixth and seventh inning, uh, a decent arm is, is the feeling, but the, the big move, and I think it sent a little bit of shockwaves to perhaps more learned fans in the MLB, uh, a lad by the name of Kimbrell, who, if we think that Liam Hendricks is a great closer, a great saver of games, he has all the stats to back it up year in, year out, and apparently is a future Hall of Famer, a real cubby, he's one of the guys that uh, brought the World Series home to the Cubs a few years ago, and uh, you know, perhaps leading on to you guys, it'd be interesting to see how you felt that the transfer window, the trade deadline went. But the Cubs seem to have made huge moves in terms of offloading a lot of their big, big stars that were involved in that World Series win, and they've made a, a big play to build for the next few years. So I think it's I was in, explaining to my son, but it seems to be so interesting the way that moves are made and it's trades and swaps rather than hundred million pound transfer fees. Um, but you can really see teams saying, okay, this season's out, perhaps even next season, we're going to put all of our stock in these young potential stars of the future. 
you know, looking at the Red Sox activity just before I go into that, it just occurred to me there's a couple of interesting things um, to come out of this uh, relatively poor week for the Red Sox. I think I mentioned before uh, the young lad, well, he's 24, but he's a young young lad, Jaron Duran, who only had a brother, you know, I could play him in the same team and, you know, Duran Duran, wouldn't it? So, yeah, he, he had uh, this um, speed dimension uh, running game, which uh, the, the Red Sox don't have a great deal of. And um, I was watching the game live and on uh, Nesson, my favourite, Dave O'Brien, the commentator, and he was getting really excited because he hit what looked like um, pretty much my favourite thing in baseball, an inside-the-park home run. So you get a home run, but you haven't hit it out of the park. Um, you've hit it into a deep area of, of the field. And in Fenway, that was, um, I think it was a so-called triangle. So in centre field, there's this odd configuration in Fenway where the ball can bounce around a bit. And um, he just took off. And yeah. you thought, yeah, this is going to be a triple. But of course, the cameras are... Uh, concentrating on the fielder getting the ball. And he did sort of uh, reach around for it a bit, sort of like panicking, didn't pick it up straight away. But um, the commentator was saying, you know, was getting so excited and uh, he made it home. And um, it wasn't until later that, the, you know, the, the official scorer um, actually scored it as a triple and an error for the centre fielder, so it would be an E8 because he hadn't picked the ball up cleanly when it bounced back off this part of the um, the outfield. So um, it was a bit of a shame, really. It didn't you know because it's such a it's quite a rare thing. So does that not officially count as a home? That goes down in his statistics as a triple. Yeah, he will get a triple. He will get a run. Uh, you, you know, against his yeah. name, but he doesn't get the home run. If that had been an inside the park home run, then it would it would count towards his home run. Um, he, he has got one home run already. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, it it was a a shame. But the, um, one of yeah, obviously there is the New England uh, Sports Network and. It was either, I can't remember whether it was, uh, I think it might have been Jerry Remy. Great, he's got a great commentary team. Dave O'Brien is the commentator. Jerry Remy, Red Sox through and through, and uh, quite often Dennis Eckersley is in there. He's got, you've got to listen to him. He's got some great saves. But Jerry Remy, he was quite adamant that, yeah, he said the scorers pretty much got that right. Whereas um, O'Brien, he was saying that, the uh, and this happens a lot when you've got a guy who's known as a fast runner, then it affects how a fielder goes to get the ball because they they rush it. They know they've got to hurry the play, and he said perhaps that's why he didn't pick it up so cleanly. But anyway, that's what happened. The other thing that happened was in Tropicana Park. I don't know if you're familiar with that, the Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah. But it's a, it's a um, it's a dome, Four. isn't 
more, more easy pop music references there with Club Tropicana. Yeah, <laughs> Club Tropicana, I'm sure they must have they must have an area that's Club Tropicana. And um it's 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 a a dome. It's an inside yeah. uh, ballpark anyway. It looks if you look up at it, you know, in the, the, the TV cameras. It looks like the inside of a circus tent. You know, they've got this, what they call a catwalk, a high catwalk, and then they've got uh, the lower catwalk. And uh, one of the Red Sox batters popped the ball up into foul territory behind him, and it was going to be a routine play for the, the catcher. You know, he thought, I got it, I got it, I got it. And then uh, it became pretty clear that the ball wasn't coming down. It popped up, but it wasn't coming down. And uh, it stayed up on the catwalk. And uh, again, one of the guys said, this happened last time we were here. So it's, uh, you know, quite often they do hit them. In one of the other games in that series, I think um, one of the Red Sox players hit the ball um, it, for a moment, it looked like it was going to go for a home run, but it just went um, foul of the left field uh, foul pole. But it, that hit the uh, bottom tier of this catwalk as well. So, yeah, um, I think there's, uh, yeah, I think there's, they're, they're talking about, is it them that are talking about getting a new, not just a new stadium, but two new stadiums um, that they're going to share with Montreal? Did I um, did I hear that correctly? Uh, we'll, we'll need to look into that. I think Montreal being desperate for a team, but it's quite possible that they could play. It gets very hot in Tampa. Uh, I think that's the talk that maybe they'll get a new ballpark in Tampa, an outside ballpark, and play their early games there, and then. The summer games will play up in Montreal. We'll see if that happens. In terms of Red Sox and the deadline activity, well, Shane Bloom, I don't know if you know the name, but he's the chief baseball officer at, uh, at Boston. And they poached him from Tampa Bay Rays before the start of last season. So as I was saying earlier, everyone admires what the Rays do consistently on their low payroll. It's currently 70 million, something like that. And that is 26 out of 30. And, you know, given that they, you know, they're they're top of the division again, they made the World Series last year consistently high. You look at um, the Red Sox, they want to reduce their payroll. And, you know, I think a couple of years ago they might have been top. They're now uh, sixth highest at 182 million. You compare that with the Dodgers, 265 million, and the Yankees, 203 million. So the the Rays are achieving what they're achieving on a third of the of the of the top um, guys. Oh, it's just it's really interesting, Dave, when you're talking about budgets there. You know, you've you've done a good bit of work into that before. But from that transfer window, it just showed the strength of your division. It felt like four teams are still hell-bent on finishing not just the playoffs, but first place. And I know it's really tight with you guys in Tampa, um, but Toronto, uh, we've all spoken a lot. I think we're all quite fond of Toronto for various reasons. 
Um, but they've really invested in that team again. And the Yankees, well, I'm sure that the owner is just always going to push the Yankees on, regardless of where they sit. But that's you know, nobody is flying the white flag at all in, in your division. That's going to be right there till September. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, the Yankees don't mess about, do they? Uh, you know, more of that later. I think I mentioned that, uh, you know, the rumour was that the, the owner wanted uh, Max Scherzer. That didn't happen. But I do like this. Uh, um, it's not a direct quote, but I'm paraphrasing Bloom. And he said, you know, about the, about the trade deadline, he says it comes down to what you have, what you want, and what you're willing to give up. And he said it's not necessarily about adding to the payroll or not. So I think he was getting his defence in early because, you know, the Red Sox fans wanted a big signing. They wanted, to, you know, a couple of areas where they're particularly uh, reasonably well assumed that that's where the Red Sox would go. The thing about that quote is that the Red Sox don't want to give up their prospects. And I'll just go through who they got. They got a couple of they didn't they didn't go for the the big name starter because I think, you know, fingers crossed again, Chris Sale yeah. is coming back. He's gonna be the ace. They've also got Tanner Houck, who they're gonna recall again. Got great hopes. For him as being, uh, you know, a real top-class starter, he'll be in the rotation again. They picked up a couple of um, relief pitchers, um, and they traded. They got a they got a lefty from Pittsburgh, Austin Davis, and they traded. I'm really sorry about this, Michael Chavis, who I really liked, and we saw at MLB London. He came on with everyone else. He got a couple of home runs, but he was a rookie there, and you know, I thought, have we seen, you know? future superstar for Boston. But anyway, he's he's away. The one, the big trade that they made was the signing of Kyle Schwaber. And this, this um, he's, I think he's another Washington Nationals guy. And he's an established lefty slugger. I think um, it was well, well mooted that they wanted a, a left-handed hitter the uh, the talk was, and I've listened to Tony Maz on on his podcast that they wanted um, a first baseman, and the guy that they were really were plugging was Anthony Rizzo of the Cubs, another one of that 2016 team. Yeah, uh, Dave, he fitted the bill, but the Yankees got him after signing another lefty, Joey Gallo. So two big sluggers. Remember. You know, Yankee Stadium, again, this has been well documented that they didn't have a lot of lefties in their lineup. And it's a ballpark which is designed for left-handed hitters, as we've mentioned before, the house that Ruth built, uh, Mark III. Yes, so Alex Gore is quite the same. He's happy. We got better. An An impact bat who is versatile, and makes us a more complete team. He's an outfielder, though, but the talk is that they might try and uh, play him at first base, possibly platoon him with right-hander Bobby Dolbeck or replace him. Um, But the thing is, we'll have to wait a while because he's injured. So (laughs) 
He's on the IL-10 and he's expected back in the second week of August. But put it this way, he's been out for you know for a few weeks. But before the All-Star break, he went on this really hot streak and he's he already had 25, he's already got 25 home runs to his name. So if you can pick up where he went on before that, then it could be a good one for, for the Red Sox. Just to pull you to pick you up in a phrase there, Dave, I've heard it used before by some MLB commentators, and you've used it there as well. When you say platooning, what what does that mean exactly in, in terms of baseball? Yeah, yeah, that's um, good, a good point, Dave. Um, what sometimes happens is because um, in baseball, um, the big thing is matchups, right-handed and left-handed matchups. So I think we've talked about this, but I think I'm the only one who uses this. But the BOPS principle is how I remember it. Batters opposite, pitchers same. So if you're a batsman, you prefer to play against... Uh, if you're a right-handed batsman, you prefer to play against a left-handed pitcher. If you're a pitcher, the numbers say that it's better... For the pitcher, if he uh, a lefty against lefty, right against righty. So what they sometimes do, is, um, you know, switch hitters are big in baseball as well. If you've got a switch hitter who can who can bat right and left, then uh, that's a big plus for the team. But in some positions, what they'll do is they'll have a right-handed first baseman like uh, Bobby Dolbeck, and then they'll have. Uh, left-handed first baseman who can who can play in his stead. So the righty will play when there's a left-handed pitcher starting for the opposition and vice versa. Because the numbers say <laughs> that it's uh, it's better that way. I think we might have talked about this before. And I think it's something to there are a couple of things like the, the pitcher if you're a if you're a right-handed batsman and it's a right-handed pitcher, you see the ball slightly later than you would just because of how they line up. And also, I think the you know the natural ball for a, a right-handed pitcher, it's more natural for him to throw the ball away from the right-handed batter than it is for a lefty. So the numbers back it up, and you know in baseball. The what they call it, the telematrics. Uh, they that counts for a lot. So that's what platooning is. Then you'll have uh, you'll have that in the outfield as well. Quite a lot of players. So you'll see changes and you know why why they put him in for this game. It's quite likely because he's right-handed and the starting pitcher's left-handed, or the other way around. So- Just pick up very quickly on trading from a Tigers perspective, although. I'll maybe give a more general overview on this. The Tigers weren't involved much on deadline day in trading. Uh, Daniel Norris, a pitcher who's been around for a few years, was traded away and the Tigers took in a a prospect. Uh, A number of Tigers players were considered on the radars of a few teams. We've got Gregory Soto, who's become a star in our fantasy team, is picking up a few saves and holds, he was considered a, a valuable commodity. And then um, 
the likes of Shoup and Candelario were, were considered potentials for, for people to pick up. But nobody did, although the, the article I did read about it suggested a, a few people were asking. But my general observation on the trading day is quite different to the football world, but because we in baseball, it's all about winning or getting a wild card spot. Finishing last, in a way, it doesn't really matter. So what you tend not to see is the poorer teams actively trading for better players. Uh, you might be used to sort of your football team at the bottom of the league. You need a, a, a new centre-back and a new striker. You're likely to be one of the more active teams trading in, in the transfer window, but but not in baseball. You obviously then leave it till the off-season. You obviously, you've got a, a bunch of prospects around the, the minor league system, and, and that's where you look. But you might trade away some of your star players, bizarrely, because you're not, again, you're not that bothered if you're, if you're fourth and you go to fifth. And if you can get some good prospects for the future for your star man, you're going to do that because your star man has two things. He's obviously not delivering a winning formula to your franchise, but more importantly for the teams going to the playoffs and they're looking for a top slugger or they're looking for a that last starter to finish their pitching rotation. That That's what's going to happen. So another quiet one for the Tigers. But yeah, it's uh, I, I, I just like the the differences and they've staying static isn't so bad this year Alan uh, I know you're a little bit behind in terms of a playoff spot but for our division um, the Indians have pretty much signalled that they, they feel their season's over Kansas have traded away a lot of guys and the Twins have traded away Nelson Cruz you know, I've mentioned to you no offence to Dave not, nothing to do with the next couple of games coming up but I've said to Alan I really feel that Detroit could be in a good position coming up towards the end of August. The, the Indians have got some really tough games coming up. Yeah, but second might not get you a playoff spot, but I think it could be quite interesting to yeah, take you into next season. Fantastic if we get to second place. So we, we have the Indians this week. The series against the Indians comes after one of our Highland bullpen matchups where the Tigers and the Red Sox do battle. So... Yorkshire, Dave, what's going to happen there? Yesterday was a rest day for the Red Sox, which probably came at a good time because they've lost got five out of the last six. So, you know, chance to, to regroup a bit, you know, and they've had a few um, not massively serious injuries, but niggling injuries. So I think, uh, Zan, you know, the, the two sort of key men, um, the all-star infield duo of uh, Sander Bogarts and, and uh, Rafi Devers at shortstop and the base have had uh, missed a few games. Um, uh, so hopefully they'll be back and uh, swinging their bats. And very much like to see, you know, let's not say a sweep, but a 2-1. I think they've lost the last three series. Uh, yeah. Red Sox. Um, so, um, much as I'd love to see the Tigers continue their, their winning ways, I will um, also admit some bullpen loyalties and 
recognise that if it helps the Red Sox get to the playoffs, I might not be too disappointed if uh, if it is a two-one win for the Red Sox. So, yeah, yeah, and it's Hinch and uh, Alex Cora. Yes, of course. Matchup. Yeah. Uh, you know, they were obviously both together at Houston. Uh, they're probably two of the best young managers around today, aren't they? So it'll be very interesting. I think the third game in the series, we'll have to uh, link up on WhatsApp or Zoom or something. It's, it's a friend, it's a UK-friendly time. It's 6, it 10 p.m. first pitch. It's I think they just randomly do. I don't, I've, I've never studied it closely. They do seem to have, certainly Sundays, but you can understand Sundays as a regular mm-hmm. 6, 10, and then there's the occasional other one thrown in. I'm not, not entirely sure, but yeah. And the White Sox are going to go on a they're going to capitalise in the, the central division here. Hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> um, Enough said. It, it's interesting, uh, with those with those games coming up, uh, the feeling seems to be that the White Sox should win our division uh, and that these moves that they've made uh, is to help bolster the, the bullpen for October. Um, so if you can put yourself that you're there already, the feeling is that if you're giving yourself, I think, we've perhaps got some of the best starting rotation in the American League and the feeling is we might just have added the best bullpen in the American League. Um, if you can get those guys back who have been injured, you know, Jose Abreu hasn't been firing all cylinders. TA has had a, a good season, to be fair. We haven't had a second baseman all season. We've been missing Eloy and Luis Robert. We haven't been heavy scorers. Our pitching has been outstanding. So the feeling is that if you can keep that strong, and you can get these guys back over the next couple of months, it puts you in a, a lot better position for October. It's exciting to look forward to, but at the same point, you get worried when you think there's still two months to go, and people are saying, oh, the league's over. But you know, we've not been too great recently, so I think it's still important to, to keep things ticking along. But to put the wins on the board? Yes. And, and t- talking of putting the wins on the board, we had a tied match in the... UK Baseball Podcasters Fantasy League this week with our friends at Angels Over the Pond. Uh, I know we have a laugh at the the Angels occasionally, but the, the guy who Matt who runs the Angels Over the Pond is a uh, does a fantastic amount of work and research and promoting baseball uh, as a sport for UK fans and, and and reaching out to Angels fans across the world. So please please give Angels Over the Pond a a like and a follow and, and, and go for that. We had a 4-4 matchup, so five points each with two halved points there. We Close, there's, there's something like, I think, 6th, 7th, 8th and ninth are all within a couple of points in competing for that last playoff place as the things heat up there. Uh, I do have a slight confession to make. I don't think, it, it's probably a moot point, but... Whilst I kicked Kendall Graveman out of the team immediately as an active relief pitcher for being traded away from the Mariners, I've left Nick Madrigal on our injured list, which is probably an irrelevance because my thinking was, well, I'll leave him there until I'm forced to get rid of him so no one else can pick him up. But of course, he's not going to play this season anyway, so it's probably a bit of a moot point. So anyone looking in, objecting to the fact that we've got a Chicago Cubs player in our lineup. Okay, that's indication from Dave Jr. there. 
on Zoom that I should just bin him now. So yeah, I will I will attend to that shortly. And no, anyway. I was just going to give a small update on the Olympics. Uh, so congratulations in the softball. Uh, again, to remind everyone, that's that's the women's outlet for, for medals this year. Uh, Japan beat the, the States in the final there, uh, two zip. Uh, moving on to the baseball, which started this week. Uh, so again, I was having a look over the kind of history. Uh, Cuba have won gold three times, uh, and the US and South Korea have split the honours uh, the other two times. Um, so it's quite interesting. So far, again, I'm not, not keeping fully up to date with it, but from what I can see, Japan and South Korea will meet in one semi-final uh, and it looks as if the other semi-final will be decided tomorrow morning. Um, but I thought I'll have a wee look at, to see which Olympians we've had for our four teams. And it's, it's quite interesting. So you've got for the Tigers, uh, AJ Hinch, actually took part in the 1996 Olympics. Okay, um, in Atlanta. So, so again, you'll, you'll, yes, so you'll see a lot of these, a lot of these numbers might be young men breaking through into the game or at the end of their careers. Uh, he was the Tigers' most prominent Olympian. affiliation. Uh, for the White Sox, you, you guys might be familiar with the name Jose Contreras. Yes. So he was a big, big, um, big player for the White Sox over the 90s. Uh, he actually he won a gold in '96 and a silver in 2000 with Cuba. The Red Sox. So a name I wasn't too familiar with, Dave. A catcher uh, is it Jason Varitek? Oh yeah. So he was with the. From what I can see, he was with the Red Sox for 14 years, and I thought, right, well, that's that's not a journeyman. That's that's a one club man. Yeah, I would say he's one of the you know one of the great catchers um, okay. in recent years. You know. Wasn't he part of the team that, you know, finally won the World Series? I'd have to double check. Oh, okay. Um, so he also, so he took part in Barcelona. And for Richard's Mariners, a little bit tenuous, um, but one of the, the Mariners' managers in the 90s, Jim Lefabre. Jim so, so he managed the, the Mariners in the 1990s for a couple of years. Um, but he also managed China in the 2008 Olympics uh, and led them to a fantastic one for six during the tournament. <laughs> so uh, he perhaps didn't have the, the best outing there. Um, but no, it's, so our, our teams have all got that little bit of Olympic uh, prestige against their names. Yeah. Fantastic bit of research there. Um, well done in, in finding all that out. And I liked that Jim Lefavre because that reminded us of our favourite international football manager, the little general, uh, Mr. Advocat, who is away to Iraq to lead them to glory in the 2022 World Cup. And one of you pointed out how many international teams has he managed now? I think that's uh, seven, isn't it? You know, I don't know whether I could name one. I've certainly done the Netherlands three times, haven't I? Serbia, Russia... <laughs> Did he do something like Kuwait as well at one point? Possibly? Yeah, he's with UAE. He's UAE, yeah. Certainly. So he's been in that neck of the woods before. I wonder if he's done all, all the continents. And, and having um, retired last season from football management at the, at the age of 72 or 73, I, I'm intrigued to know whether it's Mrs. Advocat telling him to get out there because I can't <laughs> have you in the house. That's much more likely than Mrs. Advocat, Advocat not being worth going home to. 
young fellow, isn't he? You know, he certainly, he certainly looks it. You know, he's uh, no grey hairs, is he? I think they may be sponsored. <laughs> do, do you think he's just wearing a, a line up and down the living room, just as he walks and patrols and watches the TV? Yeah, in that combi overcoat, he's always yeah. Yeah. glancing at the big gold watch. Yeah. Uh, we love him, and that's one of our great, greatest ever moments, isn't it? When we got a thumbs up from the wee, from the little general that uh, was it. It's Barter. Utrecht, I think. Was Utrecht, it? of course. Yeah. His, his picture was on the, I'm actually going to say on the ceiling when we went to Sparta. Was it, <laughs> was it on the, did we have to look up and that picture yeah. on the ceiling? In the sports shop, yeah. yeah. That was great. Always good to catch up, gents. Unfortunately, Richard is away working at the Olympics. Well, he's away in the West End of Glasgow working on the Olympics, I believe, for a Dutch broadcaster. Uh, so uh, we hope uh, you've not missed him too much and the chat from the two Daves and myself has been enjoyable for you and we'll catch up all with you soon folks so thanks very much Mm -hmm.